This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are keeping on, keeping on here on Dollars and Change. We've gone from beer and sustainable brewing to a massive NGO care and how they're really fighting poverty around the world and starting to do impact investing and work with social enterprises. And now we're going to go to a very well-known brand. Um, Many of you probably have come across it. It is Salesforce. And you might know them as a CRM and cloud computing uh, kind of company, but they've also recently launched an impact investing fund. Now, it's it's not unusual, Sandy, that you know big corporates will have some sort of a venture capital arm, yep. but it might be more unique that they actually have an impact investing venture capital arm. Absolutely. And one aimed at not just finding and acquiring companies. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're going to move on to Claudine Emiot, the director of impact at investing at Salesforce. But if you want to give us a call, give us a ring at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And then we also have our open segment at 930 uh, here on the East Coast. But first, welcome to the show, Claudine. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We're delighted to have you. Um, we've been sort of keeping our eye on the activity of the impact investing fund. So it's really exciting to have you on the show. So thanks so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk with you both. So, Claudine, um, you have actually quite an interesting background when I was doing my background research. So tell us a little bit more about your story and how you ended up coming to Salesforce to work on their impact investing work. Sure. So I joined Salesforce just about a year ago to lead our new $50 million impact fund. Uh, Before that, I spent five years at Kiva, where I did impact investing and a lot of work on impact measurement, helping Kiva transition from funding just microfinance to also funding so for-profit, non-profit social enterprises in different sectors. And I spent the first half of my career in economic development consulting, which took me to places like China and Kathmandu and Chicago. So it, it has been um, a really interesting path over the last decade plus, um, but I'm really excited to be where I am now working at Salesforce on this new initiative. And so Salesforce for, again, I think a lot of our listeners will know Salesforce, but What's the high-level overview? How do you guys describe yourselves? Well, you already said it. You said CRM, um, which is Customer Relationship Management, for those listening who aren't familiar with that vernacular. And Salesforce is a global leader in CRM. We were founded in 1999, so nearly 20 years ago. And the company enables other companies of every size and industry to take advantage of powerful technologies, cloud, mobile, social, IoT, and AI to better understand and connect with their customers. IoT, we do break down acronyms, so thank you so much. IoT being Internet of Things and AI, Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great. Um, And and I think Salesforce has been relatively, I guess, philanthropic. They've thought about social impact before. What are some of those activities, and what's the evolution of that strategy into an impact fund? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that I think is so incredible about Salesforce is its its founding story. When the founders started the company, they were as intentional about the company culture they wanted to create as they were about the products they wanted to build and how they go to market. And so at the time of founding 19 years ago, Salesforce was built with a commitment to give back to the communities it serves 
and it pioneered what we call the 111 model of integrated corporate philanthropy. And through that, we dedicate 1% of Salesforce's equity, 1% of employee time, and 1% of product to communities around the world. Okay, so there was 1% philanthropy, um, 1% employee volunteerism, or some, some sort of form of that, and 1% of actually giving the product away. Exactly, two nonprofits. Great. And so let's let's dive into each of those and talk about how that has mattered to the company, to the customers, and to the communities you're serving. So who's using the 1% of Salesforce, I guess it's the tool, um, that's being given away? How do you identify those organizations and how does Salesforce change the game for them? So product donations go to 501c3s. And, and that's transformative. Uh, where I was before Salesforce Akiva for five years, a, not, a registered nonprofit, everything Akiva ran on Salesforce. And um, the organization benefited significantly from uh, the initial donation and, and then significant discount thereafter. So, you know, it's a very powerful product that powers businesses around the world. And Salesforce believes that it should also be in the hands of nonprofits that are solving great challenges um, through a nonprofit model. I will say, Full disclosure, we are starting to roll out Salesforce here at, at Wharton. Yep. Um, it has been slow going. And that's not Salesforce's fault, but like I'm ready for it. I'm ready to to use that tool and it is super helpful. But come on, guys uh, and gals, I don't I don't know what's going on, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> we are. It's, it it is a very it is a very powerful tool. Let's talk about the one percent of um you know, revenue or earnings, I forget which, which it was that you said, that is donated back into the communities. How, how is that donated? How do you identify the, the causes? Because um, there's no nonprofit that will say no to that money. How do you select where you focus that? Salesforce has been really intentional about its, its donation um, of, of money um, and its philanthropic strategy, and it's focused primarily on education and workforce development. So Salesforce has donated tens of millions of dollars to both the San Francisco and Oakland school districts and to many nonprofits working around the country and the world focusing on uh, STEM education and and workforce development, uh, which are really important issues for us as a company. And, um, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit in, into the impact fund, I think it's, it's important to, um, to think about how our founding story with the the move towards pushing corporate philanthropy in a new direction is also informing our, our move to create an impact fund, and, and we tie back into education and workforce development. So happy to talk about that a more, too. Yeah, I, I guess what I wanted to bring into context for our listeners and then really segue into a question is, I think foundations, when they've thought about their philanthropy or even individual philanthropists, they see impact investing not as a replacement of their, their grant making, but just more tools in the toolbox, different ways to have impact, different ways to help companies or organizations scale, um, and therefore greater impact. Yeah, different asset classes. I mean, I guess the question, therefore, is, is that what's driving Salesforce to do an impact fund? Or why impact investing? Why not keep it simple? It's a great question. And I think that there are a couple answers. So it definitely does go back to that origin story of being uh, committed to pushing boundaries and redefining what it means to do good while doing business. And Salesforce led the way with the 111 model 
ultimately creating an organization called Pledge 1%, which has inspired thousands of other companies to also sign on to um, a 111 model of corporate philanthropy. But we didn't want to stop there. Uh, we knew that there is another evolution of this movement. And we saw an opportunity to invest in companies that are positively impacting the world. And so we believe with our impact fund that we're uniquely positioned to catalyze the growth of companies. We're building products and solutions to benefit society. And we have four focus areas, which I'm, I'm happy to dive into in more detail. Sure. Let's jump in. So the first that we're looking at is education and workforce development. And here we're looking at ed tech companies and K-12 and higher ed and serving lifelong learners that are enabling equal access to education and preparing students in the workforce for jobs of the future. The second is equality. So here we're looking for and investing in companies that are developing tools that promote equal opportunity and economic empowerment for women and other underrepresented groups. The third is sustainability. Here we're investing in companies that are creating better access to clean energy, improving resource efficiency, and increasing supply chain performance. And then the last area is what we call the social sector tech. And these are companies that are amplifying impact and transparency and efficiency for nonprofits, government, and even health services. And so can you tell, can you tell any stories about, I don't know exactly where you are in the deploying of this impact investing capital, but can you tell us some stories about um, you know, companies that, that caught your eye in any one of those four sectors and that were worthy of such an investment? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, one in the, the first category, education and workforce, that we're particularly excited about is called Andela. They're based in New York, but all of their operations are in Africa, in Lagos, Nairobi, and Kampala, where they train software developers over the course mm-hmm. of a four-year fellowship. And, and during that four-year fellowship, not only receiving hands-on training on site, but they're also placed in remote contracts with U.S. companies around the, uh, that are that need tech talent. And so they're solving two things. They're solving, for one, companies that are, that are desperate to fill um, engineering roles. And two, they are primarily serving people who are um, underemployed and um, unemployed backgrounds on the African continent, training them to be full-stack developers, and then ultimately placing them in jobs um, and we're really excited about the work that they're doing and the impact that they're having. Got it. And what what made them sort of uniquely of interest to you? Because I think this this model is something we you know hear a fair number of examples about. What made you decide they were worthy of an investment and worth kind of scaling and growing? They're doing fabulously as a company. They're growing really quickly. They're they're getting great traction selling to customers that, as everyone knows, are, are trying really hard to fill, to fill software developer roles and struggling to do so. But are also looking you know, to build um, a more diverse workforce and get people from different perspectives and backgrounds. Um, and then on the impact side, you know, they're, sourcing, they're sourcing candidates who are really talented but you know, aren't coming from CS programs at top universities in Africa. They're, they're, they're 80% unemployed or underemployed. And when you look at their potential uh, earnings that they can they can earn through an Andela education, it's it's an incredible um, multiple yeah. uh, to the baseline. And so the impact that they're having directly on the individuals that they're training, um, and then ultimately the, you know the family, their families and their communities is, is essentially really really deep. 
Yeah, and I get that hits on three of the four areas of interest you talked about: workforce development, obviously equality, thinking about the types of individuals that are getting jobs and training, and then social sector and that NGO role. Are there particular metrics when you look across each of those four areas of interest that you guys are keen to, you know, to see reported on, and that are sort of key performance indicators that you look at? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we're doing our initial diligence. You know, it's important to emphasize that we are we are financial investors. So we're, we're looking at typical SaaS metrics and, and holding our companies to those. But we're also looking at impact metrics. And when it comes to that portion, I, I take a kind of a two-pronged approach. So one, I do look towards industry standard metrics, um, iris metrics, if, if you're familiar with that set mm-hmm. published by, by the gym. And and essentially try to identify one to two for each of the primary areas that we're investing in that I think probably most companies would be able to report on um, and, and encourage encourage our portfolio companies to look at those if they're not already as, you know, an ultimate goal for their, for their own impact measurement. But I also ask the companies to articulate what's the primary outcome that they're trying to solve. And it may align with an Irish metric, right? For Andela, it's job placement. That's the main thing that they're trying to, trying to achieve. And um, and so what I want the companies to, to do is to, be able to say this is what we're trying to move the needle on, and this is our plan for measuring it, and and this is our plan for for growing that, and, and you know really really moving the needle on that metric. Uh, but in other sectors, it might be something like increasing access to financial services, or you know providing access to new financial services to people who didn't have them before. Um, in the case of our equality category, or in the example of sustainability, it would be reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Got it. So there aren't any um, universal metrics that you're looking for within each of those sectors. It's more what makes the most sense for the the company. That's that's the idea. Yes, I I want to make sure that we are measuring what matters. Their portfolio companies are measuring what what matters, and I. I really want to avoid um, reduplicating efforts and, and yep. you know, we try to align with our other investors too and what they're already asking companies to collect. So we're not um, adding extra burden, but really focusing on those metrics that they should be measuring anyway, because ultimately mm-hmm. they, help, they help drive the business model. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. And we're speaking with Claudine Emiot, the Director of Impact Investing at Salesforce. And Claudine, I have a quick question around, I don't know if it's quick, but it's a question around the size of the fund, the targeted returns, co-investing, these types of things. So in the impact investing space, um, there are a variety of sort of return seekers. You know, a lot of foundations are fine with quote unquote below market returns because they want to catalyze other types of investors into a deal. Um, they want, and then others really are looking for quote market rates of return, um, you know, traditional venture capital and private equity types of returns. $50 million is a sizable impact fund so far. I mean, we have much larger funds and they're growing, but mm-hmm. I think to date, $50 million is still significant. So are what types of returns do you guys look for? And then are you really looking to follow on and co-invest or do you lead deals? Great question. So uh, starting with the, the returns question, it's you know, important to keep in mind that this fund is part of the ventures portfolio. And that means that we are targeting market returns with this. We're not expecting to get a discount. Um, we are looking for companies that are both 
maximizing their growth and maximizing impact. And we believe that they can go hand in hand. So um, that answers your first question. And then in terms of how we're working with other investors and, and deal mechanics, um, we're primarily focused on companies at the Series A and Series B stages. So that means that we're not doing anything super early um, and that's building our pipeline primarily by working with other great investors who have been in this field longer than we have doing impact investing or even some of the other newer ones, um, but essentially sharing pipeline opportunities back and forth with them. Sometimes companies come directly to us as well. Um, but we, we have a co-investment model. We, this, is, this is true for the core ventures portfolio as well. Uh, we don't lead rounds. And, you know, we, we think it's really great to work with other investors in the field, um, particularly those who, who might have a particular sector expertise in education. And where we add value that's a little bit differentiated is um, on the strategic side. So, you know, we believe we're providing not just capital, but also valuable strategic um, uh, help on on how to become a Salesforce platform company and, and how to maximize the Salesforce ecosystem. Has that 1% employee volunteerism um, from the philanthropic model, uh, sort of in terms of portfolio management and, and deploying Salesforce skills, has that spilled over into the impact fund? That's a good question. Um, not formally yet. Uh, we are still very early into this endeavor. And and, and just now we're starting to think about, you know, not only how we identify and invest in fantastic companies, but then also how we support them post-investment. And so um, this year we're really turning our attention to that um, and, and developing, you know, a, a very hands-on approach to how we can support our companies um, through regular check-ins, through annual convenings, um, and just making sure that they know we're here to roll up our sleeves and, and partner alongside us alongside them on the Salesforce side. Um, we haven't yet formally introduced a, a pro bono um, help option, but I think it's a great idea. So now, you know, when we get our You're welcome. Request, <laughs> just kidding. Thank you. Yes, I'll give you credit for that. Um, for now, let's say we get a question from a portfolio company on how they can evolve their pricing model. Then we can bring in one of our Salesforce executives who's an expert on that topic to have you know, an hour-long conversation with a company. Um, we haven't, you know, called that pro bono um, volunteering, but it, it's a great idea and, and one we, we will be thinking about as we continue to deepen our approach on, on the investment support side. I do want to remind our listeners, since we have someone from Salesforce on the line, you know, feel free to give us a ring at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And Sandy, I wanted to switch gears a little bit to gender lens investing mm -hmm. broadly defined. It's you're an expert in this field, and um, and and Claudine, you have invested in Elevest, um, a, a platform designed for women that aims to solve the gender investment gap. Um, could fall under the gender lens investing uh, kind of umbrella. Tell us about that company, Claudine. Yeah, we're really thrilled to be um, investing in and partnering with LFS, founded by former Wall Street CEO Sally Krawcheck. We were really captivated by um, the business model and frankly the statistics behind it that show that the typical woman in the U.S. keeps over 70% of her assets in cash because she does not feel that the financial services industry as it is today speaks to her. Um, and that's, you know, not, not shocking, uh, the idea of it, but then when you look at the numbers and the implications of that, of keeping the majority of your assets in cash, 
um, women who live longer than men, um, who have priorities like, you know, building families. Um, it's, it's a really, it's a really big deal. And so we were thrilled to participate in, in their Series A and, um, and, and partner with, with LFS on, on this journey. And yes, this falls into our quality um, category of increasing access to financial services to people who um, were in some way previously excluded. Um, and so this is a little different than, say, an emerging markets play. But again, we believe that there is a category of women in the U.S. that, that has been excluded from financial services to, you know, make sure that they're, they're taking care of themselves um, for the future and planning and planning accordingly. Yeah, and I think what, one of the things that um that that highlights is that you're really not you're really focusing on these four um, you know areas workforce development equality sustainability and social sector but you're looking at them across a huge geographic range and sort of socioeconomic mm-hmm. range because Vest is is really looking at every woman um, and some of the work you're doing in emerging markets is really focused on base of the pyramid I'm curious as you as you get in sort of in the trenches with these companies you referenced executives hopping on the phone with them to, to sort of advise. Are you able to capture any lessons learned and sort of help your portfolio learn from one another? Um, so how are you integrating all the knowledge that's being built it through through the funds um, activity? We are really trying to. You know, right now our, our portfolio is, is still relatively small. We have 13 companies in it. And, and thus we have an opportunity to, to curate interactions with the group. And so we have already found multiple opportunities to introduce portfolio executives to one another on specific topics. So um, Andela, for instance, could be actually a great source of engineering talent for some of our portfolio companies and maybe struggling to hire. Um, or they may have great advice for another company with operations in Africa on how to find um, the right executive talent for their key roles. Um, there might be another company that has really leveraged the Salesforce ecosystem effectively and can provide lessons to a company that's newer to our fund and our platform about how to do that. And so right now we've done it um, primarily through opportunistic one-off introductions, um, bringing people together for occasional events and panels, Dreamforce, for example, um, this summer, we'll be hosting our inaugural Impact Fund convening, where we're actually bringing in executives from all of our portfolio companies for a day of programming, both to connect them to each other and, and make sure that they know they know who we, who they all are. And uh, we think a lot of sparks will fly. We're really excited about that, but also to offer um, some specific programming on topics that they're keen to hear about, where Salesforce can provide particular value on, say, staff pricing or partnerships um, or building a sales strategy. Claudine, I'm curious, you know, you guys have, how, when did the fund officially launch? It's been a little while now. Yes, the fund officially launched in October of 2017. Um, but we had been investing with uh, the, the intention of, of impact uh, for several months prior. So we've been at we've been at this for longer than than the last um, you know handful of months. But it's Got still it. relatively- yeah. So how's the, how's the response internally? I mean, are people sort of like, why are we doing this? Yeah, we're super excited because we are innovating and and you're doing great work. Well, I mean, sort of what's the internal reception to to the impact fund? 
the internal reception has been great. I mean, Salesforce, you know, going back to one of our, our earlier points about it being a mission-driven company, um, attracts people who are excited about the one-one-one model um, and the role that Salesforce plays as a leader in our communities. And I think people who know about the fund are excited to see this next evolution of that. And so internally, there's, the response has been great. I'll also say that the response externally has been really positive. Other investors that we work with, um, companies in the impact space, are really excited to see Salesforce playing a role here, um, especially because, again, we offer that differentiated value as a strategic partner. Yeah, and we're, we're so excited because Salesforce is a, a huge and strong brand that I think has a great reputation for um, making high quality decisions and being really thoughtful and not reactive. And so to see a big impact investing play is a great signal to the space. Um, and so we're, we're excited to help share that story with all of our listeners so that hopefully this begins a trend of companies thinking across their asset classes, including human capital, philanthropy, their investments about how they can, you know, help shape the world they want. Yeah. And well, so that's definitely our hope. Um, we're seeing an increasing number of corporates start to dip their toes into the water mm -hmm. of impact investing. And we say the, the more the merrier. Um, we hope to be field builders and offer resources for those who are interested in, in exploring how they can start an impact investing program. That's great. And so what do you think is really ne like next for you folks? I mean, is it is sourcing, you, you got to huge pipeline of deals and you're just sort of like going through them now because now you're running a fund you know what what's next for for you guys at the the impact investing fund so a lot of it is is execution exactly as you said um building you know continuing to build our pipeline um continuing to do investments in great companies um and then as i already touched on deepening our post-investment support and rolling up our sleeves to work with companies um and, and then also field building. You know, we really hope to get our message out there and, and see more corporates start to explore this as an option um, because we think it's, it's a really powerful way to, to do good while doing business. So um, for, you know, commuters in Chicago thinking about <laughs> like, wow, how do I, you know, think about integrating social impact into my business or, you know, how can I do really innovative corporate responsibility? What's some advice that you you would give them in thinking through their own strategy? So I think, you know, think about your own resources and business model first and foremost. I think the most powerful impact and impactful programs are tied to a, a, a company's core offerings, right? So um, not you know, not a stretch, but really integrated. So with the CPG company thinking about um, how to uh, improve potentially your, your supply chain um, sustainability and diversity, uh, just as, you know, a quick example, something that's a little different than the tech world. Um, and I think, you know, considering the tools and the tools that if you have a venture arm, then you have the investment muscle and you could consider exploring doing impact investments. And you don't necessarily have to, start big with a dedicated fund, but just start thinking about, you know, potential strategic investments where there's not just um, a financial return expectation, but also an impact return expectation. Um, and so I think, it, you know, not, not to get overwhelmed and, and think about in, even just incremental small things you can do. Um, I also think the other important thing is to consider early on 
how you're defining impact and how you plan to measure it. Um, it's important, you know, both internally as well as externally to be really crisp about that. And what's your advice that the impact measurement question is a huge one for yeah, for any organization out there. What's your advice on um, what to measure? You know, what are some best practices? Not not necessarily specific yeah. metrics, but what's the best approach for deciding what you're going to evaluate? So I think, you know, use resources that are out there. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. In fact, please don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> right. Uh, entrepreneurs will, will thank you for that. So, you know, try to leverage existing standards and frameworks that are out there. I really like to point people to a resource called the Impact Management Project, um, which has been started by Bridges Fund Management and Brian Trelstad, who um, is a is a longtime expert in this field as both an, an investor as well as an impact metric expert. And they've developed what I consider a really helpful meta-architecture for just discussing impact. And then you can get into specific standards from there, but it's a great place to start. Um, and the goal with, with that project is to try to get the industry to convene around a, a single language and framework to discuss impact, which I think is really important. So um, using that, using the GEN and its Iris metrics combined, I think is a great, is a great starting point. Um, and then really important, again, to think about the organizations and companies you're working with and how they're defining impact and make sure, making sure you're capturing that. Um, and there, there is also a bottom-up approach. I think that's, a, that's great advice. And what we will do, Sandy, we will pick up some of the concepts from the Impact Management Project in our next segment. Sounds we can great. talk a little bit more about that in our deep dive. Thank you so much, Claudine, for joining us. We've been speaking with Claudine Emiot, who's the Director of Impact Investing at Salesforce, talking about their impact fund. We are going to take a short break, but stick with us. You get Nick and Sandy. Uh, you can call in at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or shoot us an email, businessradio at SiriusX7.com. Matt is manning the, the computer so we can get your questions that way. This has been Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.